Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. Joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. And today we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, some camps opening. Uh, a little bit of the transfer portal has been active as well. And we're going to talk head coach ratings, which have been coming out on some sites recently. And of course we have them over here at CP winning edge. What does Nick not do over here? He does all the stuff and things, Nick, how have you been, man? It is, uh, the off season and this is actually the slow time. I'm throwing up the air quotes. If you guys can't tell by my cadence here, um, because there's still a lot going on, but, uh, have you been enjoying stuff? You've been going on long vacations. Have you been, uh, <laughs> going on long drives, uh, or have you just been grinding away on getting these team profiles out pretty quick here? Trying to knock out the team profiles for sure. That's, that's something that, uh, August or excuse me, April 1st is our, uh, deadline that, that our 2022 FBS team profiles will be published and available to our uh, Patreon supporters. Um, so there's, you know, I, I feel very, very good about where we are timeline wise, uh, getting those out on time and, and maybe even a day or two early, or hopefully just, you know, a day or two uh, to polish some, you know, rough edges, uh, smooth some rough edges, what have you. But yeah, to, to hit that mark, it's definitely uh, the calendar is not uh, doesn't have a whole lot of gaps in it. We'll say I, I, I do try to take a little time away because I tend to go a little crazy if I'm, uh, you know, just unable to break away completely. But uh, I, I prefer and usually when I put it in writing, I prefer to call this time the early, uh, no, excuse me, early preseason. Early Instead. preseason. Well, I, I, I prefer early preseason. We uh, get spring games. That's so right. it is a type of season and practice that like guys are out there hitting each other a little bit. So, I mean, you know, you, you can say it's early preseason. I think that's fair. I mean, it is still March, but you know, uh, it, it is uh, spring spring games have started before spring training. Thanks a lot. Baseball but at least we're getting baseball back. I know Xavier and Nick are happy about that because they're both Braves fans. Uh, but um, Nick, uh, the, the spring games are, are, you know, the spring practices are opening right now. We've got uh, Alabama and Oregon began late last week. Auburn is scheduled to open up practice uh, today with Georgia, Michigan State, Florida, South Carolina, ASU, Wake Forest, Notre Dame, and Vautech all set to begin by Friday. So like you said, Early preseason. This is guys working out. These are depth charts starting to get figured out. Um, you know, we're going to see more on the field action and less in the papers action, which is uh, what we we like to see for sure. We like to see the real action happening. So if you're looking at these teams that are about to jump in and uh, start grinding, what, what stands out about these camps opening that um, – we should be thinking about well just sort of the i guess organize in my own mind some of the the things that we might want to touch on but also you know it's good to just sort of keep a little bit of a, a basic view of some of these teams as they're coming up i i put 
uh, five categories together on our our sheet. Of course, listeners can't uh, see it, but um, <laughs> you know, position battles are something that we see a lot of position battles. Uh, you know, uh, posts on websites and, and blogs, things like that. This time of year, quarterbacks are certainly going to be uh, top of that list whenever there is a high-profile quarterback job up for grabs. There are other instances where we have a, a pretty good idea of who that quarterback will be, so I, I categorize that as you know new quarterbacks. Uh, there are certainly rosters that have a higher level of turnover than others, um, there are candidates, you know, teams that are looking to bounce back from a very disappointing year, but then also there are a handful of teams who really kind of popped up and, and had a special season last year and, you know, put the question, is that sustainable? So just some, you know, this group of teams that, that you mentioned, UCF is also in that uh, group of, uh, you know, several other group of five teams as well. But the position battles that came to mind for me off the top of my head were that UCF quarterback battle and, and John Rice Plumley transferring from Ole Miss where he most recently played wide receiver. Sounds like he's going to get an opportunity to play quarterback again and, and should compete for that spot. Also, you know, Notre Dame had uh, Kyron Williams really productive the last couple of years. Uh, sounds like he was a little bit of a disappointment at the NFL combine, but uh, you know, big, big piece of that offense and and will be somebody to, uh, you know, that they'll need to replace or a couple of guys in competition there for that job. New quarterbacks have a pretty good idea that Zach Calzada is probably the guy to beat at Auburn. Tyler Buckner, the guy to beat at Notre Dame. Spencer Rattler, I think, is is uh, very, very likely to be the starting quarterback at South Carolina. Um, Notre Dame is, you know, mentioned them in, in both categories already. They're one of those teams that's got to replace a lot of talent, a lot of, of turnover at, at several key positions. Arizona State, of course, we've mentioned in uh, previous weeks, the you know turnover that, that they've got going there, and of course, and uh, you know the news with Jaden uh, Jalen Daniels last week uh, makes it an even bigger issue. Um, Florida, I think we can count as a bounce back candidate. Obviously, they were very disappointing to the point where Dan Mullen was fired, and now uh, Billy Napier and, and his new staff is in there. They're trying to rebuild that roster. Um, I would expect that they probably will be able to get back to uh, you know, being a, a threat in the SEC East, certainly. I uh, don't think that they will you know, fall far or, or have fallen enough that they are uh, not going to be a major factor even as early as, as 2022. And then the two teams that, you know, I think it's, it's worth discussing is their success sustainable. Michigan state took a really big jump last year. And then wake forest has been a consistent winner, but you know, they're a team that it's always kind of difficult, you know, to, to uh, for me at least, because sometimes our numbers don't always respect Wake Forest, maybe as much as as uh, you might expect, or or as much as uh, you know, polls have in, in at least the last year or so. But they're a team that brings back 
some key pieces and, and doesn't have uh, a super high level of roster turnover and they're coming off a pretty special season. Are they going to be able to repeat that in 2022 or are they a team that's going to fall back a little bit, uh, you know, out of the spotlight into a, you know, instead of a top 25 program, are they more, a, a you know, top 40 program, which is where our power ratings have had them uh, for the most part over, over the last couple of years. But you know, are they a team that really is, building something, you know, not just a consistent bowl team, but maybe a consistent ACC uh, title contending team. You know, that's a question that I've got. And then Michigan State, I think, is, uh, you know, in that that maybe it's a little too early to think that they're going to challenge teams like Michigan and Ohio State at that you know Big Ten East or, or Big Ten title uh, level. But they were so impressive last year. Are they actually going to, you know, turn themselves back into a consistent winner, top twenty-five uh, annual type team? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on here with these camps, Xavier. Uh, like, like Nick mentioned, uh, ASU with an incredible amount of Obviously, roster, yeah. uh, roster turnover there because of what is happening with them. Uh, Notre Dame's got, you know, uh, they got to replace Kyron Williams. They got to replace the quarterback. Uh, Zach Calzada going over to Auburn. So what is it about these teams that are opening up camp that interests you the most, Xavier? Yeah, uh, Florida's QB room is a really interesting thing that I think we're going to be looking at all season long. Um, you know, coming into spring, this is really an opportunity for literally every other guy on that roster to make a to make a statement. Uh, Anthony Richardson uh, is dealing with a uh, recovering from an injury at the moment, so he will not be participating 100 percent at spring practice. Uh, that leaves open the door for uh, Ohio State transfer Jack Miller, who will obviously be there uh, and looking to, to I won't say steal some time away, but obviously make his mark uh, in spring practice. Uh, you know, that, that, that doesn't include Emory Jones who hasn't put his name into the portal um, and is a red shirt, you know, is, is a senior, uh, obviously, you know, uh, a multiple time starter 12, you know, he started 12 of uh, Florida's 13 games last year. Um, and, and obviously he's, he's thought of as somebody who could maybe fight for his job possibly, you know, uh, you know, thoughts are that they may be moving on to Anthony Richardson hundred percent, but who's to say Emory Jones doesn't have a really good spring and, and a new coach in Billy Napier has to think, well, maybe I've got something to, to think about going into the summer uh, and going into fall camp next year. Um, and that obviously doesn't uh, include Carlos Del Rio, uh, obviously who's on, who's been on the, you know, being on that, uh, been in the QB room for a while now, who, who, who definitely, you think this would maybe be his last spring practice there, depending on how it ends up going. So Florida's QB room is very, very interesting for me. Uh, the other interesting parts for me obviously have to be Wake Forest skill department. Uh, Sam Hartman's back, uh, but we all know how good that offense was last year. Uh, can they replicate it going into this season coming up? That'll be, I think, major and how they look and maybe what they are maybe preseason thought of going into the ACC. I think it's pretty wide open. Uh, maybe as wide open as we'll see uh, coming off of last year. Uh, people are still going to be bullish on Clemson, obviously. Uh, but I think that going into this year, you do you will have a couple more dark horse candidates in there. I think Wake Forest is one of them. Uh, Nick hit it right on the head with South Carolina and, and what we'll see from Spencer Rattler. Uh, he's got a lot to prove. Like we talked That's about, got to be the week. most interesting yeah. one of all yeah. these teams, right? I gotta mean, yeah. I don't, you know. I don't mean to hammer on Spencer Rattler and all that stuff, but the guy went from, you know, uh, number one pick in the NFL draft and a lot of uh, boards uh, this offseason to 
having to transfer out of Oklahoma yep. because he lost his job. So there's just so much on the line for him here, right? Yeah, and, and more importantly, I think in I think this was the number one thing. This was the thing I said when he transferred to South Carolina. I think this is what a lot of people said. He's going to be in the SEC now. Like, there's not going to be many breaks for him on the South Carolina schedule going into this year, especially on the defensive side. You know, they've got Georgia and they've got others. When you really think that if, if we get to – Spencer Rattler is in the perfect situation – to be the number one overall draft pick again. If he if I mean if he had that excellent of a year where he was going toe to toe, maybe he upsets a Florida, upsets a Georgia. He, he's in that kind of a situation where if he had really that excellent of a year at a school like South Carolina, you could see him as the first or second quarterback taken in next year's draft. And that's with guys like Bryce Young and CJ Stroud possibly coming out in next year's draft. It, it really is that kind of a situation for for Spencer Rattler this year. Nick, break the tie in my mind. Is what Xavier is saying more of a compliment to SEC defenses or an insult to Big 12 defenses? Well, I, I, I've i mentioned this a uh, time or two, but uh, the stereotype of Big 12 defenses isn't you know, isn't accurate right now. I mean, the, the Big 12 had two of the best defenses. In, I mean, Oklahoma State was one of the best defenses in the country last year. Baylor is certainly Baylor one of the, great the too, yeah. uh, you know, best as far as a coaching staff, you know, preparing for an opponent. Uh, you know, I, I off the top of my head, where did they finish in our defensive team performance? They were a top 20 defense last year. So not an elite level defense, but I think, you know, week to week that Baylor defensive unit is, is certainly going to be uh, ready to play and, and has an opportunity or, you know, will be put in a position to uh, be a very tough out for any offense. So, you know, those are just the two examples, but you know, K-State, we've seen good defenses uh, from them in the past. Iowa State has a pretty, you know, consistent level of defenses. They rank 26th in our defensive team performance ratings uh, last season. So, you know, it, it, the Big 12 isn't what it used to be as far as uh, defense goes. Uh, it, it's it's not, you know, 60 to 59 games uh, all week, every week anymore. There, there are some, you know, they play some good defense in the Big 12. Uh, certainly there'll occasionally be a, a shootout, but um, it's it's not quite what it used to be. And in some cases, you know, in the SEC, the last couple of years, we've seen uh, a little bit more of that style of play, certainly than than we had previously. So I think the, the at the very least, the gap has narrowed um, between, you know, the the uh, idea of tough SEC defenses and weak uh, Big Twelve defenses. So I don't know if that. I don't think that actually answered your question. I think I think it's uh, maybe somewhere in the middle, but but sort of reframing it a little bit to where uh, you know both the Big yeah. Twelve and SEC defenses aren't quite what they used to be at least the last, you know five years ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I I get what you're saying. That was uh, that was uh, some pretty good filibustering there. Um, yeah, he, that uh, was. You know. A, he, you know, Scott, you call me a politician on this podcast. I'm not sure about that. I all never the time. called you. I don't think I called you a politician ever. It, what you one, time, really, one time? One time? Maybe one time. You don't really sugarcoat your answers, Xavier. I don't know that you could be a politician. You know, uh, <laughs> you would have to be one of those entrenched, never gonna vote me out politicians. <laughs> Yes. Because you yes. have such strong opinions. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I mean, uh, that that's why I said Nick was filibustering there. But but I I get I get what you're both saying. Look, uh, as there's better defenses in the SEC, of course. So I was just uh, needling you a little bit there, Javier, of course. But uh, look, uh, w- besides camps opening up and, and that being just excitement, we're going to start getting you know little clips on Twitter and stuff like that. Seeing these guys in uniform, start getting rumors about who's doing, uh, you know, well in camp and pushing for these positions and stuff. The transfer portal is still moving and shaking. And we had a really, uh, big move here when Austin Reed committed to Western Kentucky. He was the former West Florida quarterback and he's going to, you know, uh, him and West Virginia transfer Jared Deggie are going to be, uh, you know, battling it out to see, who replaces uh, Bailey Zappi. So, uh, Nick, that was by far the biggest one, and it had, um, you know, just little trickle-down repercussions as well. So why don't you talk about uh, the move of Austin Reed walking onto the WKU, uh, uh, you know, school here, campus here. Well, so I've, I've also mentioned uh, in recent weeks I've, I've started in a very early series of uh, college fantasy football drafts and so a big you know uh, point of uh conversation and in some of the you know chats while those are going on uh at times is the western kentucky offense and you know understandably so we saw bailey zappi set some ncaa records last year for passing yardage and and, uh, touchdowns and and was just an incredible uh, offense to watch and sort of how everything came together with uh, Zappi and Jareth Stearns and offensive coordinator Zach Kitley all, you know, joining that WKU program uh, after having a few years of, of success at the FCS level at Houston Baptist. Um, and, you know, it's, it's I think, important uh, for a lot of reasons. One, we've briefly touched on, uh, you know, the biggest improvements in our offensive team performance ratings from one year to the next. And Western Kentucky was absolutely uh, the top of that list. And I I do believe, you know, it seems like every year or at least every couple of years, there's kind of a new hot offense that kind of captures uh, whether it's college football, Twitter, or, uh, you know, coaches, high school coaches, um, will latch on to you know one or two offenses that just really grab their attention and, and you start to see it everywhere and it starts to spread you know throughout the sport and and you know see pieces of it at, at different levels. After the 2020 season, it was Coastal Carolina. You know a lot of that uh, spread triple option type stuff and and some of the interesting things that they were doing. We've seen it in you know, the last decade or so there was times, there were times when uh, Chip Kelly was the you know greatest thing uh, in college football coaching and Gus Malzahn at, at around that time as well. And it, it happens from time to time. And it's not that what Western Kentucky was doing was so incredibly different than anything else. I mean, there are a lot of air raid concepts. Kitley is a, you know, was a, a part of Cliff Kingsbury's staff at Texas tech. And, and now of course he's headed back there, but the, improvement was so quick, you know, just so immediate and an about face uh, from one year to the next at, at Western Kentucky. And now Kitley is, is moved on to, uh, you know, the power five level at Texas Tech. It, it will be interesting to me to see one, what 
teams out there are going to fold maybe some of the, the interesting ideas or just little little tweaks that that maybe they were doing uh, at Western Kentucky? Um, are we going to see that more places? Mm-hmm. And then also there are certainly, you know, some copycat uh, opportunities out there, one of which being, hey, you know, we, we need we have a new head coach or, uh, you know, our offense took a, a bit of a step back. Let's go get somebody who was involved in that mm-hmm. Western Kentucky offense. And we've seen that at, for example, you know, obviously Texas Tech, there was a, a natural fit there uh, with Kitley having a, a you know, uh, history there. And, and his father, I believe, is actually the, the track and field coach. Is that correct? At, at Texas Tech. Uh, but also, you know, Georgia Southern is one that might have escaped some people's uh, thought because, you know, forever and ever, Georgia Southern has been an option team. And we've seen on rare occasions, they make a new head coaching hire and, and kind of uh, go in the direction of throwing the ball a little bit more. And the fan base gets a little upset about it. And also, you know, those periods haven't been as successful. And so, yeah, it's it, really seen- hard to take an option team and mm-hmm. turn them into an air raid team with the current roster because they're completely different roster built. So it's asking a lot in year one. Absolutely. And, but also, you know, in the last year or two, we know, and Western Kentucky being a great example of this, you can now completely rebuild your roster in one year through the transfer portal. I mean, they, they did it, you know, (laughs) Western Kentucky had kind of a a special situation where they were able to insert a ready-made offense with players who had been in that offense. Uh, Georgia Southern, I think, is going to have to be a little bit more creative if they try to take that route. But Georgia Southern recently, who, remember, Tyson Helton, head coach at Western Kentucky, his brother uh, is Clay Helton, new head coach at Georgia Southern. So there's certainly a relationship there. But also Georgia Southern hired uh, a former Western Kentucky offensive coordinator. It was somebody who was there before uh, Kitley arrived. And, And so, you know, not quite the same uh, it's not like they're hiring the mastermind of the offense, but somebody who was on staff, who did see the transition, who, who now you know has coached in the system before. And I would expect what Georgia Southern is going to roll out next year is going to be in some ways pretty similar to what we saw at Western Kentucky last year. So that's just one thing that I'm I'm have my eye on uh, you know this time of year. And and uh, as we'll talk about a little bit later, we get in the head coach ratings are. Coordinator ratings are are coming up right behind as well. So I'm I'm diving into uh, those staff changes and and it's just something that you know uh, piques my interest whenever I see oh yeah you know this this program uh, new offensive coordinator first time play caller but was hired from this other program who did things a different way and and uh, I guess I, I I knew Georgia Southern had hired somebody from Western Kentucky but it didn't hit me until, you know, last week or so. And then just, you know, brought back to mind with this Austin Reed announcement that, yeah, they're, they're going to look really different next year, but then also, you know, wrapping it up here, uh, Western Kentucky doesn't have that offensive coaching staff or, you know, at least certainly in full and, and doesn't have Kitley anymore. Is you know Austin Reed or Jarrett Dagey 
are they going to be able to, you know, produce similar numbers? Are, are they going to be able to, to repeat uh, at least at, at, you know, get close? It's going to be uh, pretty impossible for, you know, whether it's Reed or Dagey to uh, break a, a brand new NCAA record for passing yards and, and touchdowns. But uh, you would expect they had so much success and the head coach is the same. They're going to want to keep it as close to that as, as they can, I would assume. So, you know, will it be Reed? Will it be Daggy? Uh, who's going to win the job? Two pretty good options, two experienced uh, quarterbacks. And you would think a system that is going to be, um, you know, put in place where they're both going to have an opportunity to throw the ball around a lot, put up a lot of, of uh, you know, yards, touchdowns, uh, points, but are they actually going to be able to recreate what they had last year with so many moving pieces, you know, going in and out, both in the coaching staff and on the roster, especially at the quarterback position? Uh, Xavier, I know you are particularly uninterested in Georgia Southern becoming a you know high-flying offense here, but what do you think about this Austin Reed move to WKU? Do you think he he comes in and, and wins the job like uh, you know, I know Nick is more the CFF guy, but if I'm drafting one of these guys for CFF, do I want Deggy or do I want Reed? What do you think? I'm thinking Reed. You know, I, I think he absolutely has, has to come in as, in my opinion, the favorite. Uh, I, I think when you look at Deggy, I think what you, I think we've learned more from maybe what Deggy doesn't have than what Deggy does at, at West Virginia. Uh, they're insistent. Uh, nature to want to run the football into the ground while the, he was there uh, gives me little cause for caution to what Western Kentucky wants to do at the quarterback position. Obviously, I'm not saying they're trying to recreate what Bailey Zappi did last year, but I mean, if they could get anywhere close, obviously, we could see how uh, prolific that offense was. Uh, and I mean, I, I won't say I'm not, I'm, I'm against Georgia Southern becoming a high flying offense, Scott. I would just say that it's about time they got out of the dark ages. And, you know, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then Georgia State, as we are already, would be are going to be the best team in the state of Georgia in the Sun Belt. I mean, it, I mean, it, it's, it's really at this point, Clay Hilton has to work or they genuinely might return back to the triple option. I, if he doesn't work <laughs> at Georgia Southern, they may somehow, some way, you know, uh, we, we may see Paul Johnson at Georgia Southern. So I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I, I, that fan base and that booster and, and those boosters down there. This is the last hurrah. Uh, they're they're going all in to try to make this team as 2022 as possible. And if it doesn't work, somebody's gonna have to go find Tom Frazier and they're gonna run it back like Nebraska was doing way back in the day. And <laughs> I mean, they, they may return back to the to the option because if it doesn't work, the Georgia Southern, especially if they have a couple of losing seasons. It'd be different if they were in the middle of the pack of the Sun Belt, but a couple of more losing seasons down there in Statesboro, they're not going to have this whole new offense thing anymore. They're going back to the triple option. Scott, Scott Frost might be available by then, so we'll see. You know, oh, uh, <laughs> Scott Frost, Scott Frost in Statesboro. I mean, he deserves to go there after what he's done in Nebraska. <laughs> Jeez, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't tell if Nebraska fans would defend or yell at Scott Frost. I'm not sure, but uh, uh, Corey Rucker was the other big name in terms of the transfer portal. Um, just he put his name, he entered the transfer portal. So this was an interesting name here, Nick. And, you know, uh, Utah State has been talked about. Of course, his former coach there. Um, I think Texas State uh, has been talked about a, a little bit. But uh, do you have any um, 
any thoughts in terms of directions for Rucker? So it's it's uh, Rucker is going to be a little bit tricky to pin down because uh, talk about you know CFF and, and some of the folks that uh, I have conversations with during during some of these drafts and uh, there are of course some other uh, great content providers out there uh, Nate Marquise and he was uh, on part of uh, Jared Pongren's Chasing the Natty podcast. They were talking about this move uh, over the weekend and Nate specifically mentioned, I didn't realize, I knew Lane Hatcher who had transferred from Texas State, or excuse me, uh, from Arkansas State to Texas State was obviously a former teammate of Rucker. Uh, According to Nate, they are basically best friends, sounds like. Uh, And so that might give Texas State a a more, uh, you know, more of a chance than you would normally expect because seeing Rucker, you know, uh, shortly after he entered the transfer portal uh, starts to tweet out, oh, you know, such and such uh, offered. And we're seeing Ole Miss, Auburn, South Carolina, um, and him being a Mississippi native, you would think Ole Miss would be a uh, desirable landing spot potentially. They certainly could use uh, more depth at receiver and, and Rucker, you know, I think has a skill set to uh, be able to be productive, you know, at, at uh, in the SEC at, at the Power Five level. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see because there are two G five landing spots that you would think, okay, he could go there, either know the the system really well at Utah State, know the quarterback really well at Texas State, uh, and probably be in a position to be the number one receiver, or you know. Is he going to go take a step up, you know, to the SEC, to the Power Five level, where it'll probably be more difficult, though not necessarily impossible, uh, to establish himself as the go-to guy? But you know, might be in a position to uh, boost his, you know, professional future, uh, his uh, draft stock by performing at a higher level. Um, so it's going to be, you know. It's it's difficult for me to project where he's going to end up because I could make a case for both. It would be really fun for me personally to see him, you know, continue to play uh, at the the G five level and be in a really prolific offense and, and be a big big part of that offense. But also, you know, it's got to be tempting for him and it's intriguing for me too to to say, hey, uh, what can he do at this higher level against bigger competition, both on the field, you know, on Saturdays, but also going to have to compete for a spot on the depth chart, uh, or at least, you know, for for one of those top uh, spots in the offense. So I I don't know exactly, you know, I I don't have a great guess right now, but I think if, if I were him, the sort of lure to prove yourself at, you know, with the best of the best, is, is difficult to say no to. So I think if he has an opportunity to go to a place like Ole Miss, if, if it were me, that, that I think would be tougher to, you know, for me to turn down than to go play with a, a great friend or go play for a former coach. I think I would, you know, unfortunately, not unfortunately, sometimes you just have to uh, do what's best for you personally and, and right. put yourself in a position to, uh, have a brighter future. And, and that might be 
going to the SEC. But it's going to be really interesting to see where he, he ends up because he's, you know, done a, a great job at Arkansas State. Obviously has a lot of suitors. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll be very interested to, to see where he ends up for sure. Yeah, I mean, Xavier, I think you you go into the portal here probably with an idea of where you want to go. So I think it's probably Utah State, but he's going to see if he gets an offer to a bigger school. Uh, that would be my thought process here. Do you have any thoughts on Corey Rucker uh, going into the transfer portal? There's no way he transfers out of Arkansas State and doesn't go back home to Ole Miss. There's just no way. I mean, <laughs> I, yes, to Nick's credit, he has several ties in other schools at the G5 level, but there's no way that you put your, that you leave Arkansas State to go, I'm not saying you're making necessarily a linear move because you're absolutely right, Nick. He could go there, be wide receiver one, and, and have some amazing years. But if you've learned anything from guys who just left your your university you know, in Arkansas State, you could have a, an amazing career at the G5 level as a wide receiver, and it still doesn't give the amount of credit that uh, that's due to having a, a an, an, ex, an excellent career at the P5 level. And to think that he could go to Ole Miss and probably be at the very least, third on the depth chart from just looking at him from a numbers perspective and height, weight, the whole nine, and, and understanding what Lane Kiffin wants to do with receivers at Ole Miss, I'm going. To, I, I'm going there. Like I'm a Mississippi kid. That, uh, you know, also with, with, when uh, when a person gets an offer, look at how they're, they're. You can see the subtle differences and like some of the offers he'll get. Like if you if you look at how his tweet when South Carolina offered. He doesn't hashtag their saying or anything like that. He just like South Carolina offered, yay! When when uh, Ole Miss offered, he dropped their hashtag H H Y D R. Drops the 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 shark as well emoji on top of the emoji he's already added to literally every other tweet he's put for every other school. I'm telling you, this kid wants to go home. In his bio, he says he's from the SIP, and if you know anybody that's from Mississippi, they you know this. Nick, they love Mississippi. Like they love where they're from. He's going back to Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin got him another one uh, to 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 enjoy uh, and to have a you know another guy to add to his high flying offense of sorts. Uh, and on top of that, from from all intents and purposes, I I was looking on ESPN and I'm not sure if it's on the if it's in the database, but they still have him registered as a freshman going into next year. So I mean, I, is he going to be a sophomore because he started started in a COVID year? I don't know. It's weird. I looked at I was looking through his some of his stuff, and I was like, it still had him labeled as a freshman, even on Arkansas State's website. He he's a third year player, so right. Um, I know, which was, which was I was confused about it. Yeah, so he we list him in our team profiles as a junior because um, he played 124 snaps in 2020, 718 snaps last year. So he's he's by all accounts, in a normal way of calculating it, a, a true junior. Um, so he's draft eligible next year. So it could be a one and done if he, he goes out and, and performs. But I will say I'm, I'm glad we've got you who, you know, you are fluent in emoji. Uh, uh, so yeah, that, man. That's, that's helpful, you know, because I, I did. I just pulled up his, his Twitter and I, I looked at Utah State. There are no there are no emojis or no, uh, uh, you know, no – uh, hashtags you, you bring up a you bring up an interesting point something that definitely uh you know evaded my uh uh 
wasn't on my radar. Notice, so I'm, I'm yeah. Good. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. The official CFB winning edge emoji slash tea leave <laughs> reader is Xavier. He's going to start the Miss I mean, Cleo. Line. Hey, if, if you go deeper into his Twitter, like like just to give you guys, like I'll, I'll even get a little deeper, just just for the fan bases that I understand oh, and that, that knows <laughs> that wants this content. If you go even deeper into some of his offers, he doesn't even have emojis on some of them. Like Virginia Tech offered nothing. Washington State offered nothing. Uh, like he he doesn't even have emojis on those. It just says Washington State offered. So like read into these kids a little bit more. They they they'll give you a little tidbit here and there. They'll give you a little morsel. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think he's going home to Mississippi. I, you know, if he doesn't, hey, you know, Miss Cleo, like she did, I, I'll be off the <laughs> air. I'll cancel my number. You know, the 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 emoji whisperer that hashtag yeah. will be dead and gone by tomorrow. But uh, if he did, how go to can we mix tarot cards and uh, what do you call it? Um, your your star signs. <laughs> You know, oh, to, uh, to figure out mm-hmm. where got yeah, astrology. <laughs> thank you. Uh, wh- where these guys are going. So, uh, y- you know, uh, it, it's it's all look. It all matters. Which I hate that it does. I hate that it does. But Xavier's exactly right. Nick looked it up. You know, uh, we get all the the hashtags and the emojis and all that good stuff. So, um, you know, don't be surprised if he ends up at Mississippi. But we will see in the near future. Like I said, uh, you know, uh, a shorter transfer portal today. But, um. Uh, we're going to talk about head coaching ratings here, and and I'm going to pretty much pass the torch o- over here to Nick to talk, talk about these head coaching ratings because we do have ratings at CFB Winning Edge. Uh, but also they have become available. Uh, the Athletic posted a top 25 from Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel last week, and that this is kind of the time where you see the head coaching uh, content, you know, are, are these guys, um, you know, it, usually it's a top 25 list as we do here at CFB winning edge. We have ranked them one through 130, uh, based on Nick's system. So 131, no, one thir- oh, 131. who is Forget it that's jumping in again? James Madison. James and Madison. actually we technically have 133 yeah. with, uh, I do have ratings for, uh, Jacksonville state and, and Sam Houston as well, but of course, uh, but just 131 this year. Officially. So what's the deal with them? Are they playing in the FBS this year, but are not eligible for FBS bowls? Is that what They're, it is? It's as I understand it, a one year transition. James Madison was able to kind of jump real quick into the, into the Sunbelt. Sunbelt, uh, maybe. Yeah, but, uh, so this uh, is Sam their Houston gap year. And, here. Yeah. And, and uh, it's, I think they're still technically uh, FCS. I'm not FCS. sure if they're eligible for the FCS playoffs imagine the fcs adjacent. adjacent like yeah what that'd be so there, weird it's it's a little <laughs> yeah it's a little uh tricky but um they are not technically fbs uh programs this year but we will have jacksonville state and sam houston team profiles this year so i'm i'm going to be keeping tabs on them and we will offer um you know depth charts and, and things like that but i believe they are playing majority fcs schedules gotcha. and then we'll join the uh join conference usa in in 2023 so uh well i'm gonna hand the, the torch over to you here nick to talk about these head coaching ratings maybe dive into how they're done a little bit and um you know m- maybe a couple of the guys that surprised you during the process of putting this together for 2022 so since our inception, uh, we've had head coach ratings and I've tried to, um, uh, you know, have, have tried different uh, 
calculations, uh, different weights on uh, some of the things to uh, try to put a number, put an actual uh, rating like we do with our individual player ratings, like we do with our team strength power ratings, uh, our team performance ratings, put an actual number on head coach success. Because, you know, one of the ideas I had when, uh, you know, started doing this type of work was to be able to try to capture as best we could uh, what impact a coach would have. And it's, it's very tricky. There is no perfect way to do it uh, because, you know, coaches that have success, how much of that success is their X's and O's, how much of that success is their motivational skill, how much of that success is you know, time management, being able to adequately run a practice or, or uh, weight, you know, strength and conditioning program, and then how much of it is the talent on hand and, and their ability to recruit. And so it it's tricky to, you know, uh, you can come up with any sort of uh, rubric for how you rank a head coach, there's, there's, you know, people love to argue <laughs> with these type of top 25 lists. Oh, this coach is so overrated. Oh, you're it's a very all good talking coach. point. That's why this article comes out this time of year, because people can fight about it. You know, uh, pe- people can have discussions, but honestly, it, it gets clicks so that people can say, well, Saban isn't at the top of this list. I'm going to freak out. And usually Saban's at the top of every list, but you know, I'm sure there's somewhere he, he won't be. He is on ours, of course. But, uh, you know, <laughs> spoilers. Uh, yeah, well, my God, yeah, I know. This is a really hard one to figure out. So <laughs> it, it would get. I bet you, I bet you, if I gave everyone three guesses for the top of any list, they could guess the top coach. But if I gave you three guesses for one thirty-one, or is it 133 now? Uh, one thirty-three now? One one thirty-three. There's you wouldn't get it in ten, right? I, I, I bet people wouldn't get it in 10. So, uh, you know, uh, with, with all that being said, and there is, like I said, no perfect way of doing it. There's tons of opportunity and in a lot of cases, understandably so, uh, just difference in interpretation, difference in, you know, how are you going to weight one coach versus the other? Uh, the, the best way I could think of to do it was just based on our team performance ratings, which I do think are pretty good. I think the last you know couple of years, we found a pretty good system pulling out uh, important stats that are uh, very, you know, do a good job describing the actual, like it's called, performance of that team on the field, how well a, a team played uh, based on, you know, their statistical performance. And by taking the coach-specific team performance ratings and their history, weighting them so that most recent seasons count the most, and applying that to uh, that team's overall you know, power rating. So it, our coach ratings do, uh, you know, they, they are part of our power rating formula. They're not a, a giant part by any stretch. So right now, our uh, head coaching ratings count for 20% of our, our power ratings. And it's, it's really, you know, like I said, they're based on our team performance ratings. So you can think of it as just, you know, that there's a, a percentage of that team performance rating that is specific to uh, the head coach. But anyway, before getting too much in, into the weeds and all this, uh, these are based on, you know, 
real uh, performance. And with that also brings up a little bit of a, a tricky issue with first time head coaches. So in my opinion, our, our, you know, I know our methodology. I think it's, it's pretty good. I think it's, it's the best I could come up with at the, uh, you know, over the last few years based on uh, research and, and uh, you know, trial and error, but there's certainly, you know, how do you give a first time head coach a, ranking how do you give them a, a, a rating and and arbitrarily you know decide okay this is what their their generic rating is going to be that's the route i took unfortunately you know i wish it was a little bit better but i gave a, a head coach a generic rating if he's a first-time head coach uh pretty much based on the level of the job so the lowest level uh you know teams that just were just not you know not very good um might get a 70. So like Stan Drayton is our lowest rated head coach, former Texas running back coach, um, is tied for number 130 with Ken Wilson, another first-time head coach at Nevada. Uh, those two guys have a 70 rating. It's just because never been a head coach before and you know not doing a, a real high-profile uh, high job. There were some coaches that I gave a 75 rating. Um, again, you know, not necessarily the the – most scientific way of doing it, but uh, first-time head coaches at not major power programs, but Mike Elko at Duke got a 75. Uh, Rhett Lashley at SMU, a 75. John Sumrall at Troy. Joey McGuire at Texas Tech, a 75. Um, and then the the other, you know, higher level uh, first-time head coaches, I gave an 80. And you could argue that that's too low, but I do think that there's um, – you know, a penalty to be applied to head coaches that are in the job for the very first time. And so, you know, maybe Brent Pry at Virginia Tech or Brent Venables at Oklahoma or Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame, maybe those guys, you know, jump out and, and are great head coaches immediately. You know, Ryan Day was one. Kirby Smart was one. Uh, well, Smart, I guess, didn't have the, the greatest first season, but uh, pretty quick got up to speed. But, you know, anyway, that that's what I decided to do. Um, and an 80 is is roughly average, just for any anybody who's not really familiar with our uh, rating system. But long rambling point there. Uh, that's the way we've done it for the last few years, just based strictly on those weighted team performance and then have to give a, a default for first time uh, performance. But I wanted to add a, a little extra layer this season to and we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, we were kind of spitballing a little bit about, you know, what what's something that, you know, could maybe make this a little bit better. And we had discussed what coaches overperformed or underperformed or what teams overperformed or underperformed their roster strength rating. Roster strength is our other big, uh, you know, uh, the biggest piece of our uh, team strength model is, is that roster strength calculation. And so comparing how a team played on the field to, uh, how we rate the roster on hand. I, I thought it would be a pretty good idea to, you know, try to convert those to uh, our, you know, rating system and, and tweak things, weight things just a little bit um, on whether a coach really overperformed or underperformed last year. That might help capture uh, a little bit more, you know, guys like Bill Clark at UAB pop up on these top 25 lists. He's a great head coach. Just the way we calculate things, he was never really able to, to break into that 
top 20 level, top uh, 10 level. Uh, Jeff Munkin at, at Army, right? A lot of people would think he's, he's a, a pretty elite head coach. Army is very competitive with teams that are far more talented than them. What was something that we could do that might be able to, to capture uh, somebody like that? But then also somebody we talked about a little bit earlier, Clay Helton, consistently underachieving at USC to the point where he ends up getting fired. His rating coming into this year, because USC, you know, underachieved, but still played at a top 20 level uh, more often than not based on our team performance ratings. So what was something that I could do to knock his rating down just a little bit so it wouldn't overinflate Georgia Southern in year one under Clay Helton? So that layer of, uh, you know, comparing to the roster strength uh, was my attempt to do that. And then also our, our friend Parker Fleming, uh, Stats of War on Twitter and uh, who, who has the site CFB hyphengraphs.com. He came up with an interesting thing uh, this past year and some of the work he was doing uh, for another show. He called it COPE and its covers over uh, post-game expectancy and, and took a, a snapshot of head coaches uh, over the last, I believe it was four seasons and how well did they, you know, cover the spread basically? How well did they perform over expectations? So I wanted to take a look at that as well and folded that in just just in a, a tiny little bit, but that's only about you know four percent of, of our current uh, head coach rating. But thought that that was an interesting piece as well. So what head coaches overperform based on the talent they have on hand or underperform, and then what coaches you know versus expectations? That expectation being the point spread over or underperform. So I wanted to, to tweak our head coach ratings just a little bit, uh, not a, a complete overhaul, because I think they're, you know, they're they're pretty good, but it can always, you know, I always try to, you know, want to make them a little bit better. So here we go. Our head coach ratings are top 10. I want to bounce this off of you guys. Uh, there certainly is room for debate, but this is the way we calculate them. And, and I try to design things to where, you know, uh, our process hopefully is sound and they spit out particular numbers. We can try to, to get better numbers, but the ratings are the ratings. So I'm not going to be moving people up or down. I'm right. sure both of you guys have great points on why somebody's over or underrated. Uh, but these are what they are right now. And we can just you know hope to, to uh, maybe recognize if somebody's overrated or, or underrated. And then maybe next time we'll be able to capture that a little bit better. Or we'll just know that, hey, we just can't quite, you know, capture how good uh, this particular coach is. But our top 10, based on our weighted team performance, with that little bit uh, at the end uh, adjustment for, you know, based on their their roster strength and, and ability to cover the spread. Number one, as Scott, uh, you know, spoiled for everyone, is Nick Saban, <laughs> Alabama. I know everyone's surprised. They are. I David know, I know. was the first. Yeah. Uh, pretty close. Number two, actually. Kirby Smart at Georgia. That was a little bit of a surprise to me that he was as close as he is. Uh, I mean, percentage points you know, behind uh, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart. In large part, you know, last year counts the biggest piece, and, and Georgia was national champion. Ryan Day, number three. Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. Dabo Sweeney, number four. Lincoln Riley, number five. That, I'll admit, seems a little high. Uh, Paul Christ at Wisconsin is number six. Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, number seven. 
Brian Kelly, number eight at LSU. Jim Harbaugh, number nine at Michigan, made a pretty big jump this past year. Uh, and then number 10, Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. Any of those just immediately jump out as being completely over or underrated? Well, I think the one that stands out to me inside the top 10, and Xavier, I'm not sure if you're with me, is you know one of these guys has not made the tournament yet, right? Like Wisconsin has never made the playoff. And I think all other coaches in this top 10 have made the playoff at least once, including yep. Luke Fickle, obviously, yeah. uh, for the first time this year. So I think, I don't know if Paul Chris is over or underrated according to this, but that is just the thing that came to my mind first when seeing this top 10. Xavier, yeah, do you I mean, have uh, it, anything in the top 10 there? I mean, Paul Chris is the obvious one. Um, I'm actually a little shocked that Jimbo is below Paul Christ, uh, at this point, um, in his career. Uh, I, I, now granted when you talk, when, when, when we're talking about this, Nick, is this also including, I, and you, you know, it is, it's including Jimbo's entire tenure or entire yeah. coaching arc, correct? Yeah. So, so, okay, me... so we do a, uh, the first three years are weighted. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so we give the biggest weight to, uh 2021 then a, a little less to 2020 and a little less to 2019 and then basically it takes the average of the rest of the tenure okay okay understood um that, now, that, that, that make real quick you do that if a coach switches spots like would you like give jimbo, jimbo yeah would you give jimbo it's weighted every time you move a school or is it just from the beginning of your coaching career so everybody, everybody is treated the same. Their 2021 rating uh, counts the biggest. Their 2020 counts just a little bit less. Their 2019 counts a little bit less. Oh, okay. And then the, the, from the rest of the, their oh, tenure, dating okay. back to 2014. That's, that's so whenever something started, I probably should have mentioned. It just weighs the little, but their right. last our, three years are weighted the most. Got you. Correct. Correct. And, and, and yeah, those last three years are weighted the most, but gotcha. then... 2021 is rated the most, the most, the most, the most, then, most. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I'm not great at explaining this, and, and I will put this uh, <laughs> on Patreon for our, our Patreon supporters, and it'll include the, the uh, breakdown, the, the breakdown, and the year by year uh, right. ratings. It's also a little color coded, kind of that I did that on my own, to, uh, so I could visualize, like, okay, yeah, like Jimbo Fisher. Uh, I've got Texas A&M colors for when he was in Texas A&M, but then the ratings are uh, Florida State colors for when he was at Florida State. Those are part of, to answer your question, those are part of uh, his ratings, but his Texas A&M performance carries by far more weight, even though he does have that uh, playoff performance that, that is counted here. Right. Uh, but his, I will say, his number does not currently include uh, his national championship because we go back to 2014, the 2014 season is our window for head coach. Ah, understood. So okay. that's, that is a good point to, to understand um, because that's just what we sort of all the, the numbers that go into our team performance uh, really, I only trust the full picture back to 2014. So all of our team performance ratings kind of uh, the ones I really pay attention to stop at 2014. We do have some that go back to, to 2005 but those I, in my opinion aren't quite as good uh so those i kind of written off and head coach performance because 
I feel like really before 2014, I mean, in a lot of ways feels to me kind of like a different era of college football. So it's, it's a little tricky to go too far back. I I don't want to go too far back. uh, But yeah, I'm, I'm getting off on tangent here, but, but uh, (laughs) this, this includes every year of their tenure back to 2014. But Mm -hmm. then if a, a coach wasn't, a head coach there's not a rating that goes in if that makes sense gotcha no that makes sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah cool well then no out of the top 10 if i'm and with that being the the criteria out of the top 10 i feel like everything makes sense outside of really paul chris being in the top 10 or at least as high as he is in the top 10 i, I don't know if i would have him over brian kelly in particular um but yeah I, yeah everybody else on here that it makes sense maybe Dabo over ryan day if i'm getting nitpicky uh, just because of Dabo's success, um, that, that I think that would, like I said, that maybe just if I'm getting a little nitpicky, that's maybe where I'm like, mm, okay. But Dabo did have a pretty bad 2021 versus where Ryan Day obviously was really uh, maybe a head scratching upset to, and that counts the most, right? That counts the most, so so it, it makes sense. Yeah. To to those points, uh, for for Paul Chris, one Wisconsin has just really been very consistent. I mean, looking back at his team performance ratings uh, every year since, since 2014, they're consistently in the 89 to 93 range. And, and for reference for our listeners who who don't have this list in front of right now, Nick Saban's uh, head coach rating is a 93 even, and that's as high as it gets. Uh, 81, is, is roughly average, but uh, the top five are 90 or above. And then at, at uh, 10, Luke Fickle is an 89.15. So, you know, if you're thinking of this like a video game rating, like a, a Madden rating, uh, it, it fits pretty well where guys in the you know low 90s are still pretty close to elite uh, and the high 80s quite good. Wisconsin, you know, they they fell a little bit in 2020, had an 85.7 team performance rating. But every year other than that, when he's been at Wisconsin, has been an 88 or better. So, you know, top 15 type level uh, with last year being a 90.6. So that was, you know, top 10 for sure. And to your point about Dabo Swinney versus Ryan Day, that is absolutely uh, just last year. I mean, those those two are very, very close. Ryan Day's a 91.8 and Davo Sweeney's a 91.5. And last season, uh, of course, you know, Clemson took a, a bit of a step back. Their team performance rating last year was an 88.5. That was a drop of, you know, almost five points from 2020 and then almost seven points from 2019. Whereas Ohio State uh, last season was, you know, had a 92 team performance rating and, and Ryan Day's had a 91.5 or better in each of his uh, first three years. So um, there, I would say that's even though one is three and one is four, that in my mind is almost like a virtual tie um, with, with Ryan Day and, and Dabo Sweeney. And I could certainly understand why somebody would think that Sweeney's, you know, track record or, or length of success uh, might warrant him being a, a spot above. Um, so 11 through 25, we can run through these pretty quick. Now, uh, I've got Kyle Whittingham at 11, Utah, uh, Sean Clark from Appalachian state, number 12. That might surprise people a little bit. Matt Campbell, Iowa state is 13. Mario Cristobal now at Miami is 14th. 
Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State is 15th. Kalani Sataki from BYU is 16th. Gus Malzahn from UCF is 17th. Uh, Air Force's Troy Calhoun is 18th. Josh Heupel's uh, Tennessee, Tennessee's head coach, Josh Heupel is 19th. Brian Harson from Auburn is 20. But I do want to mention that from 13 to 20, very, very small. I mean, you know, 0.7 uh, percentage points here. All of those are in the 87s. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's not a big gap at all between 13 and 20. Uh, number 21 is Bill Clark from UAB. Number 22 is Charles Huff from Marshall. That is a little bit of a tricky one because uh, we just have one year of, of him. So that's that's one where I wish I had a little bit better uh, you know, way of, of doing it here. But, uh, you know, solid first season, number 22 for Charles Huff. Uh, number 23 is Kurt Ferentz from Iowa. Number 24, James Franklin from Penn State. And then number 25, Hugh Freeze from Liberty. Uh, are there any of those that you think are – you know, man, this this really should be a top 10 head coach or how in the world is this a top 25 head coach? I'm a little surprised James Franklin so far down there. Just uh, some success that yeah. uh, Penn State has had. I mean, they've won a, a Big Ten title and, you know, he's won a Big Ten title and Paul Christ hasn't, right? So I think that's uh, a little bit surprising. But other than that, I feel like these rankings make sense. I, I know you said that maybe people will be surprised Sean Clark is as high as he is, maybe. Yeah, but they continue to dominate the Sun Belt. Yeah. Right. And Troy Calhoun maybe uh, a little high. Yeah, uh, not not in people's thoughts yet. Like you said, Charles <laughs> Huff has only had one year. Kirk Ferentz. Like Kirk Ferentz and uh, Paul Christ seem maybe, you know, just the, the teams feel like the same, those Yes. Good defense, hard <laughs> offense. Yeah. You know, Wisconsin obviously had a little more success than Iowa has, but it's surprised to see the drop off from Chris to uh, Ferentz it is a little surprising. But uh, I think these rankings make sense for the most part. Xavier, what do you think? I'll say Hypo being where he is is a little surprising. Um, you look at his years, his last two years at UCF before coming to Tennessee, and they were they were good. Uh, they just weren't like uberly dominant. Like they they went ten and three, and then six and four. Um, then they obviously go uh, eight and four, I believe, was their record this year. Um, at least regular season wise for Tennessee, I'm almost 100% certain with that. Uh, so him being 19th is a tad bit surprising. Um, much to the chagrin of myself, seeing Matt Campbell in the top 25 just brings back all of what could have been, uh, you know, at Iowa State. And I, I think, you know, when you look at what happened in 2021, that, that really leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And I'm sure Iowa State fans as, as a whole. Um, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> when I saw Mike Gundy's name, all I could see was I'm a man. I'm 40. I was like, hmm. But I, I, you know, you forget he's sometimes. Now, like, he's yeah. I was gonna say yeah. that was over 10 years ago. He's 50 now. You know, crazy. It, it, you know, you, you sometimes with, with all the headlines, he somehow finds himself actually. in. Is he really? Wow. Um, with the headlines that you find him in, like every other every other year. You forget sometimes of how like consistent Oklahoma State is uh, at times, you know, and, and how good they can be. Because uh, I, I feel like that I feel like when you think about Oklahoma State, it's like okay, yeah, they had like Brandon Whedon, and then there was like this massive drop off. And when you look back on it, there really wasn't. It was like okay, they were still like relatively competent. They kind of consistently stayed around nine wins at the time, and then obviously they were what an inch away. What was it like six inches away from being in the. And possibly in the, the playoff this year. 
uh, and, and losing the Big 12 championship game by literal inches. So, like, you know, you, you, for, you forget that Mike Gundy's able to put together these, like, I won't say, like, unicorn teams, but every now and then he puts together a team that's, like, runs through the Big 12. And you're like, oh, hmm. I forget Oklahoma State is still one of those teams that can, you know, compete in the Big 12. I mean, you know, Scott grins, but like it really you feel like over the last five to seven years, it's been like Oklahoma, Texas and Baylor. And then you're like, oh, yeah, Oklahoma State has been in there. They've just been there there. every year. Like they're in there every year. They're giving the Oklahoma and Texas a hard time when either one of them are good. And, you know, uh, I, I think. Oklahoma State's won the Big 12 title recently too, haven't they? Um, I don't think so. 2011, I think 2011 might be the only one they... Yeah, like that's what I'm thinking. Like like you said, Scott, they're constantly there, but they're never able to finish. So you're like... And they just lost to Baylor this year, right? right? So, you know, yeah. So like... 2011 is the only, his only uh, championship. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, been I consistent. guess. I mean, looking. Yes, looking through, it was Oklahoma from 2015 to 2020. So mm-hmm. I guess that's not surprising. So, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm on board with maybe Mike Gundy. Uh, no, I, th- I still think that's a good spot for him, though. Uh, oh, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't think it was necessarily a, a terrible spot. I just felt like when you. I, I'm a, I will say the top 25 list are not names I was going to be fully expecting to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I'm, I'm honestly like not to, to, I guess to spoil it a little bit, like I'm surprised like Dave Aranda is not higher. Um, he's at 30. Maybe he's a guy I felt like was going to be in this top 25 range. Um, you know, he also went two and seven. Fair. That's, right. like yeah, that's, that's very years true. Ago. You know, yeah. So, so it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad that you're, uh, bringing up these points, it, and it gives me a, a you know, maybe a, a chance to explain myself, and and so it might make some sense, uh, you know, to some folks. But then also, you know, there are definitely good points where uh, maybe there's some, you know, maybe this isn't the final list. I, I think it is, but uh, if we if we find a glaring, you know, uh, way that we can make these better, I'm, I'm certainly always open to to finding ways to improve them. But um, Sean Clark, as I mentioned, I feel like 12, just that number, you know, top 12 head coach seems a little high to me, but I mean, he inherited yeah. a really good program and, and has kept it at a pretty high level. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Gundy, as you mentioned, you know, who's, who's not a worse coach by any stretch than Sean Clark and his rating is very similar, just happens to be a few spots behind. It's not going to impact, you know, uh, Oklahoma's rating compared to App State's that much right. uh, more, but um, you know, he, he actually, the thing that uh, the, the adjustments had different uh, you know, uh, treated his rating differently, which I thought was kind of interesting. The one where it's, you know, how did he perform compared to roster strength gave him a little mm-hmm. bit of a boost uh, gotcha. because, you know, last year Oklahoma state had a better year than you would expect that, you know, based on just the talent that they had on hand. But Mike Gundy also, strangely enough, because we think of, you know, he always pulls a big upset or two every year, it seems like, right? Um, but he also, his teams suffer one or two head-scratching losses. And so he actually only has an average uh, to maybe slightly below average uh, rating in the COPE uh, adjustment. So the, the cover... Um, 
over uh, post-game expectancy. So that was a little bit of a surprising. So one of, one of them bumped him up a little bit. One of them bumped him down a little bit. Uh, and then so the the Josh Heupel was kind of interesting. You brought up, wow, top 20 kind of seems a little high. But actually the adjustments for Josh Heupel brought him down a little bit. So I, you know, I think he's a, uh, he's an example of, you know, somebody that these adjustments probably helped us capture where he is right this second, a little bit better maybe than if we hadn't done these adjustments because he got average to below average ratings in both the performance versus roster strength and uh, in the, the covers uh, adjustment. So he actually, you know, his first two years, he inherited a great situation at UCF, put up, you know, consistently top 20 uh, team performance ratings there. And then, you know, at, at Tennessee had a, a good year, but not necessarily a great year. But this time last year, Josh Heupel was knocking on the door of a top 10 head coach rating. So that certainly felt too high uh, for me. So actually, you know, I think him, even though he still maybe looks a little high to just the, you know, when you see it on the page, um, I think the adjustments helped helped our hypo rating, if that makes sense. Um, but so, so you know, going down, and, and Xavier, you mentioned Dave Aranda, who is one of my personal favorites. Uh, absolutely, you know, I think he is a better coach. You know, who would you hire? on this list, he wouldn't be the 30th coach I would hire. Right. 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 Uh, he would be higher on that list, but just sort of, you know, we had to think of a way to, to try to calculate it and the way we do it, you know, we can't capture everything and his 2020 first year wasn't great. And so that's also, he's a little bit of an example to where, you know, some of those first year head coaches I mentioned who we kind of had a generic rating on Marcus Freeman, I think is going to be a great head coach that 80 generic rating for him or Brent Venables that ties for 91st. They, they would be much, much higher on my list of who would I hire tomorrow than 91st. But like with Dave Aranda, who we think is a great you know head coach and, and paid off pretty well, pretty quickly. That first year was a little bumpy. So I think having a, a lower rating than you might expect in my mind and, and the way I calculate it um, makes, you know, some amount of sense because first year head coaches, uh, there, there are Ryan Day situations, but like I said, you know, even Kirby Smart kind of he had what an eight win season that first year, and and before they really got going. So uh, going down on you know through the remainder of this list, maybe in the top top half to to maybe you know just the the double digits. Are there any names that jump out as like wow, that's just whether it's too high, too low, not where I would have expected. Jed Fish has to be higher simply on his recruiting rankings. I feel like I feel like uh, his recruiting from uh, the 2021-2022 offseason, whatever you want to call it here, what we're in right now, should move him up to like close to the middle for some okay. reason. I mean, that's obviously... He's, he's 118th. It's a little facetious, record. right? He should, probably shouldn't come that high up because you have to... That will translate... a career 1-11 record. <laughs> right. It will translate one year with there's right, right. It, it'll it'll translate tricky. so much more if they're just a 500 team mm -hmm. next year, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, but he has clearly done a, a big job. That was like when I was perusing uh, the bottom of the list. That was um, 
probably the name that surprised me in terms of those guys uh, being at the bottom. Xavier, did, did you have a guy that you think is uh, too low uh, here on this list? I was shocked to see Mel Tucker that low, um, to be honest with you. Okay. But I, I do understand that he went 2-5 in his first year, but after the year he had last year going 11-2, uh, I just felt like, you know, maybe I'd see him higher, to be perfectly honest with you. I think I was more so appalled by the fact that he's lower than Mike Leach. But, uh, I mean, <laughs> hey, you know, I just, when I saw the name, I was like, hmm, Mel Tucker. Interesting. Um, but, no, I, you know, I, I, that's no shot at Mike Leach. He's at 50. I, I think he probably fits where he should. Um, maybe, you know. Mike Leach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how do you feel about should no, just let, probably you know, be his spot for yeah yeah just just, just con- consistently average absolutely yeah uh but but to add to, to beg the question and Scott I want your opinion on this I don't know if you saw his name as you were perusing through Scott Frost is fifty first thoughts I just I just want your thoughts on that do, do you think that's too high for for our for our favorite coach over there in Nebraska um that seems about right honestly like uh he had success before going to nebraska and it's you know uh, it wouldn't be that surprising to see scott frost uh <laughs> succeed at ucf tank in nebraska and go somewhere else and be great right like it wouldn't be that surprising so i i think that's about right for him okay cool no, I just, especially you know, with the you know the the this year and the previous year waited more I think that's, that's about right. That's you know, uh, if everything was weighted equally, obviously he'd be higher on the list. So, um, uh, yeah, I think that's about right. Not surprised. I will say, and then this is where I'll leave off that. And I understand how much last year's weighted. And obviously that goes into why this person is so high, but the fact, the fact that Sam Pittman is higher than Lane Kiffin, I think would sit in the, would send Ole Miss fans into a tizzy. <laughs> I think they would add. So we've got Sam Pittman at 27, and then Lane Kiffin is at 38. I genuinely think Ole Miss would be in Nicholas Ian Allen's DMs if this got out on Ole Miss Twitter. Uh, you know, I think they, they, there'd be a lot of people that would be like, What are you talking about? Are you serious? You see what Lane does on a regular basis? You see the offense he's got going over there? Nick, uh, I think we might have found a secret Ole Miss fan on this Oh, show no, it's not a secret. Uh, I, I, will... I, it's not a secret. Oh, no, there's, there's no secret here. I've been uh, I mean, you're, you're a Georgia yeah, fan, no. though, Xavier. It's almost blasphemy to oh, talk yeah. positively about any other SEC team, right? Is if it, you're, if you're it... an SEC fan, I feel like you probably, you know, it, it would be like me talking up Oklahoma. You don't do no, it, No, no, right? no, no. Completely so, different. No, no. It'd be uh, like I, you do. I, It'd be, like talking talking up It'd be like uh, you talking up Kansas State. It'd be like you talking up Kansas State. The beloved, the, the beloved, that, so. exactly the uh, beloved side uh, of the other conference. Yeah, I, I mean, hey, I can, I can. There's a team I can root for, and the only reason why I have Ole Miss as one of my beloved teams of the SEC West is because somehow, somewhere, they get under the skin of Alabama fans like I've never seen any other school do so. It's them and Auburn. They get under the, but I could never root for Auburn ever in my life. But Ole Miss, if you bring it up around Alabama fans, just go to like an Alabama bar and be like, and just and just give you the good old shark logo and just watch their faces turn over a little bit. And that feeling, understanding that Ole Miss of all teams could give you that feeling in your soul makes me happy. So yeah, Ole Miss <laughs> is somewhere in, has a special place in my soul, in my in my heart. Absolutely. I, I think there are uh, you know people who are are big fans of a team. And we've talked before that my, my fandom is not what it, it once was. Uh, but I think you can have teams that you're a fan of 
and then teams that are just really fun to watch or just you know that you mm-hmm. just you just keep tabs on. So I, I understand that it's it's interesting that you compared those two. Um, and yeah, I, I think I agree. I would I would think as a just football coach, like ability, uh, and I guess it's it's more so, you know, scheming things up, maybe yeah. recruiting. I would probably give Lane Kiffin the edge, maybe in motivation. And see, these are just things I can't put a number on. So there, it's, it's, it's good to for me to motivation, right. right? So in in this exercise, it's it's good for me, I think. Uh, just so that I can, you know, like I said, do it. These are the numbers and kind of forget yeah. about it, honestly. Uh, but it, it is, I think, important to think of, you know, from a, a motivational standpoint, maybe Sam Pittman is, is you know, who uh, you might consider, you know, who would you want to play for? Yeah, Lane Kiffin is fun, but, you know, I don't know. Uh, but it, it's it's also how do, how do we look at the numbers? Pittman only has two years of right. uh, team performance rating. So we, you know, the, the, the smaller sample, uh, there's a little more noise, a little, little more difficult to actually hone in on, on a true, uh, uh, you know, not talent, but you know, you know what I mean? Just their actual being able to capture um, right. how good of a head coach they are. But Pittman, one thing that I think boosted him just a little bit, one Arkansas had a slightly higher, not much, but just, you know, little tiny point or two higher team performance rating last year. So that carries some weight, but Arkansas's roster, uh, not, you know, not as high in our roster strength ratings. And so Sam Pittman put up a pretty good uh, adjustment number for those, those roster strength, being able to perform team performance uh, compared to talent on hand. So I think, I think that is what just eyeballing it here. Uh, that would make sense. Would explain it, and then yeah. also Lane Kiffin having some G five experience. That twenty, what was it? The middle year when he was at FAU, twenty eighteen. They weren't great. They were they were basically just average. And so our team performance ratings do have a strength of schedule component, mm-hmm. and so that's, that's another little tricky thing too. Sometimes a, a coach jumping from uh, you know G five to P five. Sometimes our ratings probably are a little lower than you might uh, want them to be or, or expect them to be. Um, and then it can go the other way, like when Dana Holgerson like left uh, West Virginia to, to right. Houston. And like uh, right now, Napier, I believe, is in your top 30. Yeah, he's at 31. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it can go the opposite. So, so that, that, I guess, you know, not perfect, obviously, uh, but kind of explains maybe a little bit where the, the number comes from. Um, but... Yeah, so I mean it's 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 interesting and I'm 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 glad to have this discussion with you guys because I, you know, obviously I have the methodology and and I think it's sound um but does it, you know, pass the smell test with a new fresh uh or or you know, when you put a fresh set of eyes on it, does it it uh look, you know, passable? Yeah, there are going right. to be some that you could argue with. Uh but I think it's good to you know, get some feedback and, and then also uh, bring up some points of like, hey, why is this, you know, why is Sam Pittman ranked higher? And so those that question, you know, obviously didn't come to my mind immediately. So it's good to look into it and think, OK, does that make sense? Why is that? Um, so anyway, that's why I'm glad we're, we're uh, 
talking about it a little bit today. And and like I said, I will be uh, posting this as soon as we're done here uh, on Patreon for our Patreon supporters. Uh, if you're interested in seeing the year-by-year numbers, uh, I also included uh, what type of background each coach had, uh, their history uh, since 2014, the uh, you know whether they were in the same job or whether they were an offensive coordinator somewhere or, or what have you. Uh, that's that's all listed here. Whether they're an offensive or defensive, uh, you know, minded head coach, where their their uh, history as an assistant is, uh, and then what their primary position. So when they came up, were they primarily a quarterbacks coach, linebackers coach, whatever? Uh, that's listed here as well. So uh, if you're interested in that, you know, check it out. If you're a patron. Uh, supporter, you'll have access to this after the show. And then this will be, as it always is, part of our FBS team profiles. Uh, it'll be a page in, in there as well. Um, but uh, if you're a, a supporter, you'll, you'll be able to, to see this uh, with your own eyes and, and look into it and dig into it and, and uh, you know, ask these same questions if, if you notice uh, one, a mistake, which, you know, certainly want to avoid those when we can. But uh, if there's a question you have, why is this guy better than this guy? Or you have an argument to say, you know, this particular coach is definitely over or underrated, you know, let me know. And and uh, I can look into that as a, uh, you know, can I make an improvement to, to, you know, do I agree? And can I make an improvement to uh, better reflect whether it's that coach or, you know, all 131 coaches, uh, whether there's a, a tweak that can be made because I want to put out the best, most useful, uh, because like I said, this is part of our power ratings. This is part of our projections, win totals, uh, season, uh, you know, point spread. This is this is part of it. So I want to make sure it's as good as it can possibly be. I know it won't be perfect, but I uh, want to fix any mistakes and, and uh, make any improvements while we can in this early offseason. All right, I think that's it. Do we have anything else on uh, head coaches, Xavier? Or, or are you uh, you good, Nick? You, you good on head coaches? I think that was everything, right? So, uh, uh, Xavier, for those of you who couldn't see it, Xavier uh, did the shark signal to end the show here. So thank you very much, Xavier. But uh, remember, you can follow us all on Twitter, at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.